All right. Also, last thing up. Some of you guys, if you all have not yet met Jacob Smith, welcome, Jacob. Uh, some of you guys uh, may have seen Jacob in the youth room on most Sundays as you guys have moved through here. Jacob, in the last few years, has been our Southwood youth guy. Uh, and he has been transitioning this spring and will be transitioning into the fall being our Anderson College class teacher. So uh, I wanted you guys to have an opportunity to meet him this morning and have an opportunity to hear from him as he walks us through the word. Uh, and then more often than not, I wanted you guys just to know, too, we're just kind of with college ministry changes. Some of you guys may know Matt Morton, who's been teaching at Anderson. Uh, well, now Jacob will be stepping in behind Matt as we go into next year. So I wanted you guys to have an opportunity to meet Jacob. Tall Jacob. Taller than me. All right. Uh, and have an opportunity to hear from him this morning. So I want you guys to give a hand for Jacob. Good morning. Now that we've pushed all those baby birds out of the nest, we can get down to brass tacks. As you get, some of you know, uh, we've been walking through uh, the book of Acts all semester or all year, and we've been looking at kind of what Paul uh, was doing in ministry with the other early church was kind of going about. And this morning, we're going to be a little bit different. We're going to deviate a little bit from the formula because Trey kind of wrapped up Acts last week. Uh, and instead, we're looking at the book of Ephesians, uh, which Paul actually wrote during his Roman imprisonment. That whole, the last few weeks where we were covering like 10 chapters a Sunday where he's like in trial and going before this king and that king. Paul wrote this letter in kind of that whole time period where he's like in prison in Rome for a couple of years, in prison over here, doing that kind of thing. So he's writing to the Ephesians, and I want you to sort of think about that and have that in your mind when you hear these words. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Think about Paul is in prison, and he's reading this, and he says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Let's pray. Lord, we are so grateful for the men and women that you have prepared in our ministry. God, we are grateful for those graduating seniors that are going out all over the place. God, we're thankful for Tyler and Sarah and for what they've done and where they're going and what they're going to be doing. God, we just we thank you for the fact that we see your word changing our lives daily. Lord, we pray that this morning, as we look at this armor, as we, as we look at the truth that Paul is giving to us, Lord, we just pray that we would take it, we would use it, that, God, it would change something in our hearts and in our minds, that, God, it wouldn't just be knowledge that we pack away, but that, Lord, it would be life-changing, that, God, we would use it, that we would act, think, talk differently based on this truth. So, Lord, shut out the distractions this morning. God, let this time be all about you. God, slay the man that I am. Lord, use this foolish preaching to further your gospel. We pray this all according to your will. Amen. Now, I am married. I'm married to an incredible woman named Susan, uh, and she and I started dating our freshman year of college. Uh, so we actually got to date for about two and a half years before we got engaged, which was awesome, uh, because that way I was able to just sort of do every stupid thing possible in that time period. So like marriage, like smooth sailing, right, for the most part, uh, because I just did everything. I did everything wrong. Uh, when we were dating uh, our sophomore year of college, We've been dating for about a year, uh, and we wouldn't generally walk to classes together. You know, we'd have similar schedules, and we'd meet up on campus. Uh, and so there was one class in particular that I would go to that was just horrible. 
It was just horrendous. It, she wasn't in my class. We didn't have a lot of classes together because she was kinesiology, so she was learning stuff, and I was in history, so I wasn't. And so we <laughs> were in these different areas, but so I would go to class where I think I need some sort of accountability. And so I found over my you know, years at A&M that the best way to like, handle a class, the best way to really make sure you're there make sure you're taking notes, is to have a class friend, right? That's meaning someone that you go and you see him. You probably don't hang outside outside of class, but you hang out in class, you talk to each other, keep each other accountable. If you miss a day, you get to copy each other's notes, that kind of thing. I also discovered uh, that the really, the best class friends were generally girls uh, because guys generally, they either wouldn't be very consistent or if they were there all the time, their notes were just like, you couldn't read them, right? Because they use like finger paint on their faces, and they're like, okay, right? That's that's what they would do. So you would rely on these girls or these big, awesome bubble letters, and you're like, yes. And so I would generally try to befriend a girl in my class, which was really easy because my like intimidation level was very low. I was not very much a womanizer at all. Uh, this was basically this was a picture <laughs> in college. I was about at that level on like the womanizer scale, right? So about Pikachu. So. Because of that, it was easy for me to connect with some friend, you know, some females in my class, become friends, strictly platonic, you know, whatever. Like we're just class friends, no big deal in my mind. Okay, so I would do that, and in this one particular class, I had a class friend uh, who I'm going to refer to as Ursula, and Ursula and I uh, kept each other sane because the class was nuts, and the prof was just like crazy, and so we would just talk to each other, we'd laugh at all the stuff going on in class. Uh, it was really fun, uh, and after the class, we would kind of walk out together, and we'd reach this branching path where she would go to her next class, and I would go and meet Susan, my wife, now. So... The thing is, though, about halfway through that semester, I realized that Susan was increasingly more irritated whenever I would go up and start talking to her. And I just thought, oh, it's the end of the day. She's probably had a little, you know, she's frustrated with just a like, class. And so I would generally try to cheer her up by telling her, like, some funny story that Ursula and I, like, experienced in class. Like, hey, you, know, don't, you wouldn't believe what happened. Da, da, da. Uh, and so this kind of went on for about, like I said, almost a semester uh, until about three-fourths of the way through. Uh, I eventually asked her, like, you seem really upset today. Like, what's, what's going on? And she looked at me calmly and said, well, Jacob, every time I see you on Tuesday, Thursday, you are leaving this building with this beautiful woman. And you're laughing and talking and, like, high-fiving and, like, you know, whatever, butt slaps. And, like, and you're, like, walking out. And all of a sudden, you just, like, say bye, and you walk over to me. And then you tell me about all these great experiences you had with this girl. It's like, so, you know, I'm a little, I'm a little jealous, you know. And I was like, okay, you know, that's, that's fair. And in that moment, I realized, wow, I've been acting so stupid, like, this whole time. Where, like, I have brought this Jezebel into my relationship because I completely just didn't even think about it. Like, my mind wasn't even on that level. I walked into this relationship landmine. And I got blindsided because I was just completely ignoring Susan's feelings on that level. Because she had every right to feel that way because I was being ridiculous. I wasn't acting like I was in a relationship. And the truth is that a lot of times in our relationships with people and with God, we walk into those landmines and we get blindsided. And a lot of times it's because we're just not even thinking on that level. We're not even on that track. How many times have you felt like your relationship with God just nosedived? How many times have you maybe thought that, you know, everything was good, but then all of a sudden the sin pops up and blindsides you? Or suddenly you just feel crippled by guilt or, 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 or fear, or, or you're anxious about things. Like, how many times have you just been hit out of nowhere 
and then realized, whoa, I was not even, I was not thinking on that level. And the truth is that a lot of times we get hit by that sin, we get hit by that, those emotions because we're not mindful of the spiritual warfare. Because we're walking through life and we think we got it down, we think we know what we're doing, but all of a sudden, the spiritual war that the Bible is so clear about, that the Bible is constantly saying, look, there's this battle and there's this thing and there's this enemy and all that stuff is going on. And it's telling us about this literal war for our souls occurring around us right now. And yet, we don't even think about it. We're just not even tracking. How many times has that been you? Because that's me constantly. In Ephesians 6, what we see is Paul telling the Ephesians, you need to recognize this. He says, you need to recognize the real threat of spiritual attack. And you need to prepare to stand firm under that attack by relying on the strength of God. Tells them this is real and it's coming and you've got to prepare yourself. And what's beautiful is that in Ephesians 6, normally we all just focus on the armor of God, which is what we're going to be covering a little bit this morning. And we're like, yeah, the armor, like put on the armor, yay. But there's more to it. There's a little bit more. In, in this passage, Paul doesn't only include the armor. He actually covers three big things that we need to recognize, three big elements that we need to focus our attention on if we're going to stand firm under spiritual attack, if we're going to avoid walking into landmines and getting blindsided by sin. He says that we need to recognize our enemy, we need to recognize our equipment, and we need to recognize our energy. I mean, what power is it? We need to recognize these things. And only then are we able to stand firm. That's why, again, in verse 10, he says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. He's telling the Ephesians, look, you've got to look out for this enemy. He is so real and he's so powerful. And a lot of times when we see that, when we read that, and when we hear it, it doesn't really affect us. Right? We hear this word like the devil. And we're like, oh, okay. Right? We think about the guy with the tail and the pitchfork and oh, I'm going to end Christmas. And everyone's like, oh, no. Right? Like, that's, that's what we think of. But Paul is saying, no, there is this devil, meaning accuser. It literally means slanderer. There's this accuser out there, and he has all these principles. He has all these helpers, these, these minions, and they're out there, and they're gunning for you. And yet so often, we just, we just write it off. And it's sad because the Bible could not be more clear. The Scripture spends so much time telling us all about the devil or Satan, right? The other most common name for him is Satan, meaning the enemy, literally the enemy, meaning he is the enemy of God, the opposing force. The Bible is so clear that he is horrible and dangerous. You see all these characteristics of God in the Bible, which is awesome. A lot of times we'll do character studies or look at God is love and he's righteous and he's this and that, right? We know that love is, love is patient and kind and da-da-da. And we read these awesome descriptive passages and we unpack that. But what we often glance over is that the Bible has just as many passages about Satan that we don't unpack we see in Revelation 12, it says that there was war in heaven, Michael and his angels having war with the dragon. The dragon and his angels waged war, and they were not strong enough, and there was no longer a place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, who is called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. 
Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down. He who accuses them before our God day and night. We picture the Satan who like, maybe he's evil, but like he's down in Hades, right? He's down in hell and he's like ruling and sitting on a throne and making people push wheels or something, right? That's what we picture, but that's not true. He's here on this world. He's, he's going before God. He's accusing us before God. He's saying, look at that sin. Look at this person. Look what they did. You, you, God, you, you, no way. Don't, don't mess with that guy. He's trying to accuse us. That's what his number one occupation is. He's accusing. He's also a murderer. It says in John 8, you are, the, you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. Not only does he lie, he is the granddaddy top dog of lying. That's who Satan is. He's a destroyer. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But Christ came that they may have life and have it abundantly. We see that Satan is so dangerous, not only because he's out here trying to destroy us and attack Christians and attack humans because he hates us, not only that, but he is so deceptive that Paul warns the Corinthians that in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Paul is telling them, look, there are going to be people in the world that you're going to try and talk to. You're going to share the gospel with them. You're going to talk to them about your faith. You're going to give them your testimony. It's going to be awesome. It's all packaged up and perfect. And yet they just completely miss it. And they completely reject it. And says so there are people like that because of Satan. Because Satan has blinded them to the truth. Because he is at work and he wants to pull as many people away from the amazing free grace that God has offered. He wants to pull as many people away from that as possible. That's his job. That's his passion. And he's coming for us. We don't realize that not only is he all this you know, powerful stuff, we don't realize that he's, you know, he's evil and he's trying to kill us. A lot of times we're like, oh yeah, Satan. Oh man, Satan's getting me today. right? And, and the tr- problem with that is that we've been lied to. We've bought into this idea that Satan is in fact like this all-powerful being. right? And he is dangerous. right? He is bad. But there's one little silver lining. There's one little thing is the fact that he's not omnipotent, right? He's not all-knowing. He's not everywhere. The, the Bible is clear that his tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth, right? It's talking about Satan. When he fell from heaven, it's this idea that he took those angels, right? In the earlier Revelation passage that we read, he took his own angels with him, meaning that now that he's on earth, now that he is seeking to destroy us, it's not just him. It's not like he whoa, like can rule everything. He has to, he's limited. He has to use helpers, right? They're still dangerous, but it's not like he's all powerful. Right? It's not like he's equal at all to God, but he's still dangerous. So if Peter tells us that we should be sober-minded, be watchful, for your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. I don't know if you've ever been devoured, but it's probably pretty bad, right? I haven't experienced it either, but it's bad. You don't want to be devoured. And what's so sad is that we see these things, right? We hear it. And maybe even right now you're like, yeah, true. But then we forget it. 
right? Because we walk into our culture and we're encountered with all this information, all these people that don't believe this at all, that are completely blind, that have written Satan off as either just a figment of our imagination or just not even real, or he's just sort of this entity of evil that doesn't really have, make decisions. Like we've written him off and it's an amazing, amazing strategy of his to convince our culture that he's not real. And it's so sad because we will look, I looked on Amazon for a devil costume and found this, right? I don't know if the dog's name is Professor Wigglebottoms. I would like it to be, but it might not be. But Professor Wigglebottoms is dressed up like a dean. He's dressed up like the devil, right? We are dressing our pets up like the devil, like the father of lies, like prince of the darkness, right? Like this is what we've said. We're like, oh, he's, he's such a little devil, right? Pete on the carpet, you know, like that's, and we're like, oh, I'm gonna give him some horns, right? Because that's what we think of Satan. We're like, ah, whatever. Oh, Satan, boogeyman, I'll come get you, right? Like that's, that's what we think of. And, and it's brilliant on his part because there's no better way to attack us than if we don't see it coming, right? That's how, why he blindsides us. That's how we hit those landmines because we are just completely ignorant of the fact that he exists. We just write it off. But Paul is saying, don't do that. Don't. And he's pointing out that we need to know him, not so that we'll be scared, right? Not so that we'll be like, oh no, Satan's going oh, to get me, right? That's not the point. The Bible doesn't tell us all these things about him because he's trying to put the fear of God into you. The Bible is telling us these things because that's how you prepare. You study your enemy. You know your enemy and you know his plans. If you know who your enemy is and you know what he's going to do, then you're better prepared to face it. A few weeks ago, there was this big hoopla about North Korea, right? About how they were developing this missile program and, or maybe they already had missiles and some of them might already be nuclear and how they might like point them at us and try to shoot us, right? And so I looked up, I Googled North Korean missile launch. Okay? And like the number four result was this video. It was this video of the North Korean launch, okay? On Google, we're gonna see it. If it... 조선정통신사 보도 오늘 우리가 미사일 실험을 한다 준비 <laughs> Now, obviously that's not real In case any of you are like, what? <laughs> but <laughs> they launched it, right? But no, like that's not real. Like, that was from Conan O'Brien, right? That's just a late-night talk show host. So, like, they filmed that to, like, kind of just have fun with the whole idea. Because why? Because when we heard about it and people were talking about it, no one really got worried, right? No one was really that freaked out. No one was like, oh, my gosh, like, get a bunker. Like, no one, no one did that because we knew the enemy. We knew what they were capable of. They told us, they're like, we're going to shoot a missile at you. We're like, okay, buddy. Right? Like that's, we didn't have to worry about it because we knew what they were doing. Right? We were prepared. Not to say that we just wrote them off. We're like, oh, I'll do whatever you want. Like, right? We have systems in place to stop missiles that try to come and hit us. Right? We trusted in those because we knew their plan. We're not riding off Satan, but we are guarding against him. We're recognizing that he's a real threat. And then we're confident in facing him, not only because we know what he's doing and where he's coming from, but we also have been given this equipment. Not only do we know our enemy, but also we've recognized equipment given to us by God. Verse 13, therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. 
in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Paul lines out six key pieces of equipment that we've been given. All right, he's going with this extended metaphor of us fighting a battle of being soldiers. And so he lines out six different pieces that we've been given. He tells us, and to me, it was really funny, the fact that he started with the belt of truth, right? I've heard this. I grew up in church. I went to Sunday school and we would, you know, like put on cardboard armor suits and be like, I'm a Christian, you know, whatever. But I was always interested though, why he started with the belt, right? Because you would think he'd start with like the bazooka of the gospel, right? Like something like crazy, like the helicopter of uh, salvation, I don't know. But like, he would give you something awesome, right? But instead he starts with like a belt, like put on a belt, uh, which didn't really make sense to me until when I was studying for this morning. Uh, and actually I had a conversation with one of my friends yesterday, a guy named Jerry. We were talking and somehow through the conversation, uh, we were talking about how maybe he should go into plumbing or something. Uh, it was weird. But, uh, and when we said that, he's like, well, so you know the thing is though, Jake, I got a high crack. I was like, what? He's like, my butt. And I was like, oh, okay, I got you. Uh, so you don't want to be a plumber because you'll show, all right, good one, Jerry, right? So, uh, but the truth was that he really did. Like, he was like, yeah, look, like it comes, I was like, wow, that's, <laughs> that is impressive. Like, it's halfway up his back. And I was like, that was amazing, right? Uh, but he was talking about it, right? Because he's saying, look, he's like, that's why I need these good belts, right? He's, he's got to have those belts to hold everything together. Otherwise, it's going, it's going to get crazy out there, right? So you got to have that belt, keep it all together. So Paul's saying, look, Satan is a liar, right? If there's anything we know about Satan, it's he's, he lies. He's the father of lies. And so if you're going to fight against him, if you're going to stand firm against him, the number one thing you need is truth. And it's got to hold everything together, right? You've got to have this belt that holds it all together. I don't know if you saw Inception, but basically, there's these guys, and they're going into these weird dream realities, and they don't know what's real and what's not. And so they take with them a totem, right? They have this one item that they, like, hold on to. Leonardo DiCaprio, you think it's a top, but I've read a theory that it's actually, like, his wedding ring, which is really cool. But you read, so you, you watch the movie, and they're like, they're like, oh, man, what's going on? But then they, like, they look at their totem, and they're like, oh, okay, yeah, all right. I got it, right? Because they have this one constant truth in the midst of a changing landscape, in the same way, we need to be belted together. We need to be holding together this belt of truth. We need to have everything tied into the fact that God is true. The truth in his word, the truth in his teaching, that's what needs to hold everything together. We need to start with that belt. But we also have a breastplate of righteousness, right? Because we know that Satan is an accuser. The devil, he's an accuser and a slanderer. And because of that, we need protection because he's constantly going to be trying to take away uh, our, our confidence. He's going to be constantly trying to, you know, affect maybe our idea of where we are with God. If God, does he really love me or am I really saved? And so Paul's saying, no, be guarded by that breastplate of righteousness, knowing that you are not only positionally righteous, but you are also able to be practically righteous. What I mean by that is when you put your faith in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, when you ask him for forgiveness, when you accept the eternal life that he offers as a free gift, as soon as you do that, boom, you're a Christian and nothing's gonna change that. You are protected by Christ's righteousness. But that protection, that righteousness allows you to not only have your position change, but also changes the way that you act. It changes how you practically go into the world, the way you think and speak 
and act. It's, that should change based on this breastplate that you have. When I married my wife on January 9th, 2010, we had this wonderful ceremony and this great thing. And you sign that marriage license. And as soon as you sign that marriage license, it's set. She is now Susan Smith. I am now still Jacob Smith, right? But now I have a wife, right? So the government like sees us. They're like, they're a couple. Like we taxes, we file them jointly, right? Like that's, that's what we do. Like we are now positionally a couple. And because of that, it changes the way that we practically act, the way that we practically live. Over spring break, we went out to this cabin with my family up in the mountains. It was a really beautiful place. Uh, but like the third night we were there, Susan and I both got this like horrific stomach virus thing, okay? Uh, where basically uh, you, you catch it and then you just, you're a volcano, all right? And so, but like with lots of openings, right? So, so you're, just, you're just, you're dying, right? And so over the course of this evening, I started a few, I, about 9 p.m., I was like, I'm good. And I just, I just start dying, okay? And so I'm dying in our bathroom, and everyone else is like, what's going on? And so Susan's though taking care of me. She's like, no, you know, I'll help. She's a nurse, so she knows how to kind of handle that sort of situation, right? And she's like, let me, let me wipe that just stuff off your face, right? Like just, right? And she's able to do that. But then about four hours in, Susan, she was like, oh, you know what? I don't, and just goes to. So the whole night, like 9 p.m. to 9 a.m., we're just both just, oh, just dying and riding around and just destroying everything around us because we're so sick. And it was one of those moments in my mind where I thought, you know, this would be hilarious if we like met last week, right? Like if this was, if we were dating, right? You're dating, you go to a coffee shop, the girl's like, oh, I haven't put on makeup yet. Don't stop, right? Like, but because we were positionally married, because our relationship changed, Susan was able with confidence to say, help me, right? Like, she was not afraid to ask me to come and save her because our position had changed, right? Because we had that protection. And so we were able to love for each other and care for each other and do these things for each other, serve each other, ask each other for help that we desperately needed because we were protected positionally. If I have a breastplate of righteousness, if I know that I am saved, if I know that my faith in Christ will never be taken away from me, if I know that that salvation will never be swept away, that if I will never leave Christ's hands, if I know that, it should change the way that I live. It should change the way that I act. It should give me a confidence because I carry that protection with me. But not only do we have this belt and this breastplate, but we've been given the shoes of the gospel, which I, I love. I love that Paul talks about how we have these shoes that we're strapping the gospel to our feet and taking it out. Because, see, the thing is that Satan, he can't take away our salvation, but he can take away our ministry. He can destroy your life now. As soon as you become a believer, that's his mission. He knows he can't affect your eternal salvation, but he can affect your life now. And so he's going to tempt you. He's going to try to lead you away. He's going to try to smother you with guilt. He's going to try to do these things to kill your ministry. And so Paul says, no, instead, we strap the gospel to our feet and we run. That's why in Romans, he talks about these people who have beautiful feet. He's actually quoting uh, Isaiah. Uh, it's in Romans 10, 10, 15. He talks about these people that have beautiful feet, which is really weird. But then he explains, says, because their feet are used to carry the gospel forth. He says, that's what we should be doing. Not only am I protected, but I should be going out and taking that gospel forth. But not only that, I also have a shield of faith. See, because Satan wants to shake my confidence, right? He wants me to doubt. 
He wants me to be worried. He wants me to get freaked out. Because again, he's trying to destroy my ministry. And so if he can just bring in some doubts, if he can just turn me away, maybe from the church, or I'm like, I don't like organized religion or anything like that. If he can just do that, if he can just get one of those arrows in, that's why Paul talks about how he's, he's referring to an actual occurrence where archers would take these arrows and they're like, well, it's kind of cool to shoot people with arrows, but what if they were on fire? And so they dipped them in this tar stuff and they'd like light on fire and boom, and shoot them. And so people would have to protect themselves with shields, right? And that, this was back in Rome when they still did that like cool shield thing where they kind of overlap one, one another. And so not only were you protecting yourself, but you're protecting the brother next to you from these, these attacks, Paul's saying, look, we need that faith. Not only that initial saving faith that changes our position, but we need a practical, living, daily faith. That's what you need in order to stand firm. You need that daily faith. And when you see it, I I promise you, it just builds and builds and builds. That shield, the more you use it, the more confident you you become in it, the easier it is to block those attacks. Uh, Recently, I had one of my youth leaders, she was... um, she had to go through this medical procedure that was kind of scary, getting married soon. And so there was all this conflict of what was going to interfere with the wedding or if they needed to postpone or, or what was going to kind of go on because she had to get the surgery. Uh, and th- when all of this was going down, uh, I've been discipling her fiance for about six years now. And so when we sat down and talked about it, he was just worried and, and like he had a good peace of mind. He was like, I know God's good. Like, I know it. Uh, it's just, it's really hard to see it right now. But then I talked to him last week. She had the procedure. Everything was great. She's bounced back like immediately. As best, like just the best possible scenario. And when I talked with her fiance, he's like, you know what? He's like, what well, was so beautiful? He's like, he's like, yeah, obviously now I feel great because like everything's done. He's like, but honestly, I felt great the day she was going into surgery. He said, because I've never seen the body of Christ move like I did just now when they sent out some prayer requests, when their parents told their friends, when they told their small group, when, I, when we as Southwood leaders like prayed for her, he said they just saw, they knew they were being prayed for by so many people. They, they'd received so many texts and calls and emails of people trying to support them and telling them, look, like we're there for you, we're praying for you. We had the same thing. And, and he just said it was an amazing, amazing event to see the body of Christ move in that way. He says, I've never, I've never had a stronger faith than I do right now thanks to seeing other people's faith. So we got to take up that shield. We got to protect ourselves and the person next to us because that's how we stand firm. We also have a helmet of salvation, right? Meaning again, this is almost similar to the breastplate or even the shield, this idea that we are secure, that we have this helmet that guards our minds, that we shouldn't be worried, that we shouldn't be swayed. That's why uh, 2 Peter it says that we should need to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory now, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Peter's saying, look, if, if there's anything that you do, if I give you two closing charges, please, please, please grow in grace and in knowledge. That's what I want for you. That's what you need. And, you know, honestly, if you come to Grace Bible Church, that's what we're all about. If you're a senior, maybe you've been coming here multiple years. Hopefully you've picked up on this. But we as a church, as an organization, we have some core values, right? It's just good business practice. Like you set up some pillars or some, or some values or a mission statement. And so we've got some core values here at Grace. We want to make sure that anytime someone walks in our door, every Sunday, Wednesday, Thursday night, whatever, anytime someone comes in and hears someone speak, we want them to get two things. We want them to hear the gospel of grace 
We want them to hear about that free grace that Christ has offered us. We want them to hear that. We want them to grow in knowledge. We want them to hear the word taught. We want them to see scripture unpacked. We want them to be motivated to go home, open their Bible, and study it. Because we recognize that this is what it's all about. That in order to stand firm in this world, we've got to grow in that grace. and We've got to grow in that knowledge. That's how we build that helmet. That's how we protect our minds. By growing in those things. And last, Paul tells us about the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Right? We see that Paul is telling us, look, this is the one offensive weapon I'm going to give you, right? He, all these other things, it's like protection, protection, protection. He says, you know what, though? I'm going to give you a sword. He says, you know what the sword is? The Word of God. And what's awesome is that we see that analogy pop up multiple times in Scripture. That's why Hebrews says that for the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Scripture is clear that God's word is so powerful, not because we are able to wield it so effectively, but because God is wielding it, because it's God's word, right? Not because it's my word. I'm standing up here and preaching to you right now, not because I think I have great things to say. I'm only here because I know that God is going to speak through me. Because I know that God can move in your hearts. I know that nothing I say matters. I fully ascribe to Paul's teaching in 1 Corinthians that, we, that God is infinitely wise and we are infinitely foolish, but that God has in his, in his wisdom chosen to use our foolish preaching to spread the word. I believe that 100% because the word of God is powerful. And that's why we can wield it with confidence, knowing that even if I don't quite know that verse quite right, or, or maybe oh, I don't really know if I know enough verses about this one subject, or, or I just feel like I don't really, I'm not ready, I can be confident in knowing that's God's word, that's so sharp, and that God's going to send it out, and he's going to change lives, with or without me. So I can wield that sword with confidence and faith. And all of a sudden, I've been guarded. I've been, I've been surrounded by this armor of God and I'm prepared to fight, prepared to stand. But I need to realize, we need to realize that the application of this isn't, all right, go be more faithful, right? It's not like, all right, we, let's, let's go be salvation, right? Like that's, not, that's not the application. Sadly, a lot of times that's what we think it is. We're like, whoa, well, I guess I need to guess I need to be more righteous, right? Like that's, but that's not it. Because if we're really honest with ourselves, we realize that we cannot do those things, right? Left to our own devices, we are unable to enact or to put on this armor. That's why it's called God's armor. I have a little niece whose name is Catherine. She's almost three. And she has the most awesome eating habits I've ever seen in any human being or animal ever. Because what Catherine does is she eats Literally everything, everything uh, over the course of her, just her little three years of life. She has managed to put so many disgusting things in her mouth. Is I could do an entire sermon on that. Like, it's so incredible. Uh, but she will just eat these crazy things. And I've, I've just personally witnessed her eating. Uh, I've seen her eating, uh, well, gross stuff. I've seen her eat uh, crayons, all right, which is actually pretty cool because after she eats the crayons, later... It's like a rainbow, and it's like pretty cool. I'm not going to lie. 
I might accidentally put those on my kids, uh, you know, a table or whatever. But, uh, you know, so these crayons, uh, the, recently when we were uh, up in the mountains, we were hanging out this park. And we're jumping around. She's like jumping off rocks and almost dying all these times. And, and while we're standing there, uh, she's just kind of playing in the dirt. And so I'm talking to her mom, my sister. And Kevin just kind of looks up at her mom. And she's got these hands of dirt. And her mom was like, no, Catherine. Which I was like, what is she going to, is she going to like throw it? Or, but my sister was like, no, no, Catherine. The guy just looks at her, kind of smiles and goes, <laughs> and just starts stuffing dirt in her mouth. I was like, that's so great. And some her mom would like scoop, and like scoop out some. Then kind of like kept eating it. She's like, oh, whatever. And so, because she's like, it's not going to kill her. And she just had to reach this level where she's like, all right, left to her own devices. Catherine, when she wants to eat, she will eat dirt. She will literally eat the dirt off of the ground, right? That is what she does. And the truth is that we have about that level of discernment, right? As humans, that's about what we're capable of. We, when we are thinking, oh, I'm going to be more righteous. Oh, I can't wait to be better at stuff. And we try, we will fail every stinking time because we just can't do it. We're fallen people. We're broken. We can't do it. So it's amazing what Paul points out, what we see in scripture over and over again is that we are not the energy. Instead, Paul says in Romans 13, this is beautiful, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. And when you read this, you almost are, you're almost tempted to sort of write it off as like, oh yeah, weird Bible speak, like put on Jesus, like piggyback, I don't know. Like it doesn't, it doesn't really make sense though. Like you don't normally speak that way. Put on Jacob. Uh, what? Like that doesn't make sense. Unless you look at the broader context of Paul's writings and you see what he's talking about. He's saying that Jesus Christ, he is the fulfillment. He is the embodiment of all those characteristics that he's encouraging us to put on. Sometimes he calls it Jesus. Sometimes he calls it the armor of God. Because when we look in scripture, we see that Christ is all of those things. He is truth. He says that he is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We see that Christ is the righteousness given to us. It says, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We see that Christ became, he was righteous. And so it is afforded to us as righteousness. We put on his righteousness. That's where that breastplate comes from. We see that our shoes of the gospel, I mean, self-explanatory, what is the gospel? It's the good news of Christ. That's why Paul says, for I delivered to you as of first importance that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. He was buried. He was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Clearest presentation of the gospel you could ever find. And it's all about Christ. That's what we're taking forth. We see that Christ is our faith. It says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I put my faith in Christ, but that only works because Christ himself had faith, because Christ himself was faithful. You see elsewhere in scripture, it talks about how his faithfulness, right? His perfection is what is counted to me as righteousness. If Christ had sinned, then if I believe in him, that does nothing. But his faithfulness enables my faith to be effective. That's where our shield is coming from. We see, for my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Luke is quoting 
Old Testament. He's quoting scripture saying that, look, Christ is our salvation. Hopefully you have learned that if you've been here more than two minutes. Christ is our salvation. He is the way that we are saved. And not only that, but we know that when we take up that sword, we're taking up that word of God. John tells us that in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Later in that chapter, he says that the word came and became flesh, dwelt among men. Jesus Christ was the word of God. The words that he spoke were God's words because he was God. So when I'm wielding the sword of truth, I realize that what I'm wielding really, a lot of it is Christ. He is the perfect embodiment of that word. So when I look at this armor of God, I don't need to just think, wow, I need to like put on this stuff and do all these things. I need to think, I need Jesus Christ so bad. That's my first thought. And when I realize that, I need to realize that I don't need to fear sin or Satan or the world because Christ beat sin. Because Genesis promises that Christ would eventually crush Satan's head. Because Christ told us that he overcame the world. But we don't have to worry about it. So we've got one more week in college. Next week is our last Sunday. Small groups are already over. And we know that when that summer hits, I mean, normally our schedule, it changes, right? I mean, we go off to camp or we go off on an internship or we stay here and take a few classes, right? Our, not only does our schedule break, but our fellowship does as well, right? A lot of times we, we're going around and our friends leave or we go back home and there's just like weird high school friends or the only people around, right? And so when we are in the middle of that weird, to, like changing environment, so many times that's when we hit that landmine. So many times that's when we get blindsided. Because that break in schedule, that break in fellowship, leaves us blind to the spiritual realm. So I'd encourage you not to just think, all right, how am I going to be more righteous? How am I going to do this? How am I going to do that? As this time is approaching, realize you need Jesus Christ. That you pick some of these things. That maybe you pick that enemy. Maybe you think, okay, I do need to focus more on my enemy. Or maybe I do need to focus on a few pieces of equipment. Maybe I do need to focus on you know, who Jesus is. Maybe I've never put my faith in him to begin with. But when you realize that, don't just think, oh, I'm just going to knuckle down and do it. You think, God, help me. Christ, give me those things. Lord, not only show me where I need improvement, but Lord, improve me. Because apart from you, it's impossible because you are the energy that I use behind the equipment to stand firm against my enemy. So let's pray. Lord, we are so grateful for what you have done. Lord, we pray that we would truly acknowledge the fact that we are incapable of anything good. That God, we need to realize that we are broken that, Lord, we are only saved thanks to the redemptive work of Christ. Lord, we pray that this summer wouldn't be too hard, that, God, we wouldn't be hitting stumbling block after stumbling block, that, Lord, instead you would keep us grounded, that, God, you would keep us in fellowship. Lord, we pray that even in the midst of chaos, that, God, you would help us stand firm, even in the midst of that war zone, that, God, you would make us good soldiers and you would equip us with that armor. So if you would take this moment right now and pray to God and ask him to show you where you should be focusing your attentions 
And then ask him to be generous in those areas, to, to provide for you, not only the recognizing your issue, but how to solve it. Ask that he would be the energy behind your actions.